Amen. Thank you for that special, Pastor Silver, and uh, that ties in very well with what the Lord has given us this morning. I guess in a way you would have never known. In 2004, an event took place in history that maybe a lot of people don't even remember or even care to know. As many of you know, and you've heard me preach before, and you've heard uh, me give illustrations about my life, you've come to find out that our family loves sports. And one sport we loved growing up in particular very much is baseball. And baseball being one of my favorite sports, there's a team, of course, that we followed a lot through high school, and that team was the San Francisco Giants. And I say all this because on the San Francisco Giants was a player that I used to love and follow all through his career. And there were some stars on our team, of course, but there was one guy in particular I really liked. His name was Jeff Kent. And a lot of people don't really know who he is. And uh, he did win MVP one year, but uh, relatively not not a a super, super all-star like some guys were. Well, in 2003, Jeff Kent, he left the Giants and he signed to go to another team, the Houston Astros. And uh, it was in 2004, I remember I was watching this game. My team, the Giants, did not make the playoffs that year. And as uh, something I usually do, and I think I'm not the only person to do this, when my team doesn't advance, when they don't make it to the playoffs, I choose another team to root for. And in this case, I chose the Houston Astros. Now, I didn't like the team. I didn't care anything about the team at all. But I wanted to root for them because... Jeff Kent was on that team. So in reality, I was just rooting for Jeff Kent. Well, this series was tied 2-2. Two to two. The Houston Astros had advanced through the, into the third round of the playoffs. The winner of this series would win the pennants and go on to hopefully receive the championship. The Astros were tied 2-2 two to two with, the at this point, the dominant Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals. And um, it was a back and forth battle. And on this fifth game, both pitchers, the pitchers for the Houston Astro was pitching the game of his life. He was pitching through eight innings. He only gave up one hit. Now, I know if you're watching this and you don't know baseball, what I'm telling you now makes no sense to you. But just know this. He pitched a great game, one of the best games of his career But the Cardinal pitcher was pitching almost the exact same way. He was pitching one of his best games of his career. And to make a long story short, the game finds itself in the ninth inning, and the score is zero to zero. No points. It was a pitcher's duel, as they call it. It was a pitcher's duel. We came out to the ninth inning, and the Houston Astros bring out their their closer. His name was Brad Lidge. He came out, he pitched a great ninth inning, scoreless. Now it's the Houston Astros' turn. Up to this point, they've only had one or maybe two batters that even got a hit. The whole game has just been all pitching. We come to the bottom of the ninth inning. The first guy that comes to bat, Carlos Beltran, steps to the plate, and he gets a hit, a single, right into the outfield. He gets on first base. The next guy that comes to bat hits a pretty decent fly ball into center field, but 
The ball was caught, but it allowed Carlos to advance from first to second. So now the winning, the, the score, the, the winning person, the, the winning score is on second base. He's so close. They just got to get him to touch home plate, and the game is over. The next guy that came up, however, was the Houston Nationals' best player, Lance Berkman. Big time, big strong guy, hits home runs. Well, they didn't want to take a chance with him, so they walked him intentionally. So now, with the game on the line, there's a batter on first base, on second base, there's one out, and guess who comes to the plate? Jeff Kent. He steps to the plate, the crowd is roaring, and he's a pretty good player still. This is a guy you would definitely want at bat during this time, outside of maybe the guy they just walked. This is your second best guy you want on the plate. And he comes forward, he grabs his bat, the uh, crowd is cheering, I'm watching this game, I remember, I'm excited, I'm rooting for that guy right there. He comes forward, he uh, probably does his normal batting routines, you know, maybe he swings the bat around a couple times, gets loose, maybe he kicks some of the, the dirt off of his cleats as he walks to the plate, he uh, gets himself settled in, and the duel begins. The crowd is watching. Carlos Beltran, he did his part. He's on second base. Lance Berkman, he did his part. He's on first base. Now it's time for Jeff Kent to do his part. Imagine, if you will, God has set the stage for your life. He has placed situations in your life. He's placed people. He's placed even possessions, he's placed things in your life. He has set the stage and geared up for you to take the bat and to do your part and to do your turn. Even in the midst of a pandemic when depression and uncertainty are increasing every single day, God is still orchestrating your life to do something great for him. And even though we may not see the future, we may not understand what's taking place in our life, just know this, that God has never abandoned you, and he's beside you all the way. And it's time for you to take your bat and to walk to the plate and to do your part. In this passage we just read in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we come to the nearing the end of King David's life. He knows he doesn't have much time left. And one of his last requests he had asked God was, Lord, please allow me the privilege to build you a temple, to build you a home. I mean, we, I have a home and, and uh, we have all these great grand buildings around, but God, we still worship you in a tent, you know, in the tabernacle. And at first... David thought the answer was yes, but we found out later God said, David, I know you really want to do this, but this is not your job to complete. Your task, th this task I'm given, is to your son, Solomon. He will be the one to build the temple. Now, this temple was a monumental task. It was a huge task to bring, to do. And if you don't believe me, just read the, the chapters following this. The amount of effort and what went into this was absolutely incredible. And David now is talking to his son Solomon. We don't know exactly how old Solomon was when he became king, but through uh, 
through studying and ge- the genealogies and some of the times that are placed, we, we guess he may have been between the ages of maybe around 15 to 20 years old when Solomon became king, give or take, somewhere in there. Solomon being young, nowhere near the, the wisdom that David had. And this is before, you know, Solomon went to God and a, uh, God came to Solomon and said, Solomon, what do you want? And God gave Solomon this vast knowledge of wisdom. Before all this happened, Solomon was probably scared, timid. His father was King David. I mean, if that isn't intimidating enough, David now comes to Solomon and he's giving him a charge. He's saying, look, I know you might be afraid. I know this temple is a massive task for you, but I want you to know something, David. I want you to know something, Solomon. And David tells Solomon that he already has three items in his life that will help him do something great for God. And that's those three items that I want to look at today. The first item really that David explains to Solomon, Solomon, you can do this great thing. You can step up to the plate and you can do something great. Because first of all, in verse 17, you have a godly crowd around you. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, David also commanded all of the princes of Israel... Help Solomon, his son. That's how he starts out. He commanded all of the princes of Israel, all the people who had authority, who had, who had a name for themselves, maybe who had prestige, who had wealth, who had uh, knowledge, who, anybody who had anything, David says, I want you, I command you to help my son accomplish this task. Solomon wasn't doing this by himself. He had people around him to help. This is a problem a lot of times with, with people, with Christians, is we often think we're doing this by ourselves. A, a lot of teenagers today, they think they're going through life by themselves. They may not feel like they have many friends. They may feel like they can't trust their parents. and I can't really go to this person or that person. And they trudge through life trying to do things by themselves. You're going to find out in a few chapters, we won't, this isn't for our sermon, but you could find out later that Solomon did not build the temple by himself. <laughs> there was an army to help get this thing accomplished, and it still took seven years, give or take, for it to be accomplished. Nobody could do everything by themselves. And David, right off the bat, wasn't even giving his son a choice. He's like, I'm commanding everybody to help you. Because I, I want this done right. I want this done perfect. This is God we're talking about. And I'm going to give you all the help that you can get. It may feel like at times we're going through life by ourselves. It may feel like that God has placed us on earth and he, he's given us this big task to accomplish. And it, sometimes it feels like, Lord, I can't do this. I, I can't do this by myself, Lord. And of course, God's answer is always, I don't want you to do it by yourself. In fact, you can't do it by yourself. And that's reality. Is there really, we can't do what God has asked us to do by ourselves. We need help. We need guidance. We need people in our lives. If you're a young person today, you have your parents. I know parents aren't perfect. And I know, uh, especially when you're a teenager, you're, you're, uh, sometimes your perception of your parents may, it may be different. And the older you get, that perception changes oftentimes. But in many of us, we have great parents to help guide and lead us in life. 
And whoever here is even watching this, especially if you're a member of our church, you have your pastor. Your pastor is, in this case, part of this, this idea here of uh, this godly crowd, this people around you to help and to guide and to help lead you through life. This is why church is so important. It's a place where you can come and, or virtually come and you can listen to preaching, listen to, to God's word, being taught and learn from it. And learn from other people because we're not in this by ourselves. We're not in this alone. God has also given many of us the opportunity to have our peers, to have people around us that we can have fellowship with. That's one of the biggest things we miss about church, about in-house gatherings is the fellowship. We all miss that, of course. And I hope we're still able to take the time to call and, and chat and maybe even accidentally see each other here or there. And I know it's nowhere near the same. But these relationships are very much important in our life. And God has orchestrated your life the way it is for a reason. The people in your life are there to help you be successful. It may not be the people you had hoped. Maybe you had hoped there'd be more people. Or, ah, not that person, Lord. Why not this people or these group of people? Or why can't... That guy be different, or this person be different. Why can't they be different to me? It may not be the way we want, but God has still orchestrated your life in such a way that you can still succeed. God will never place circumstances and give you something in your life that you can't succeed. He will never cause you to fail on purpose. Whatever task God has given you, whatever life or role you have right now, just know this, that God has orchestrated it for you to succeed. And the first thing David wanted Solomon to realize is, look, trust the people around you. Now, I know people are people. They're going to fail you at times. You can't always trust everyone, right? And that's true. But fortunately, people aren't the only things in life that we can trust. Because David doesn't just stop right there. See, in verse 17, he's looking at Solomon and says, uh, or he's, he's telling Solomon that I've commanded all the princes of Israel to help you. But in verse 18, is not the Lord your God with you? Is not the Lord your God with you? You see, not only does is the first item that Solomon has is a godly crowd, godly people around him, but also David is reminding Solomon that you also have a God that cares. A God that cares, and he's with you right now. And he asks him this question, is not the Lord your God with you? It was a rhetorical question. David didn't need Solomon to answer it because David already knew, yes, God is with you. God is indeed with you. You read the verses before. If you go, uh, well, before we read the verses before, I want us to understand that up until this point in history, we know that God cared for Israel. And there are some obvious answers. There is some obvious care that God has shown upon Israel. What are some of the most obvious classic examples of God's care for his people? How about the plagues of Egypt? Remember all those terrible things that happened to the Egyptians? And none of them happened to Israel? God had protected his people. He was protecting them. He was keeping them safe because he knew he had an objective for them. He wanted to free them. Eventually, he would free them. And what happens? 
They walk up to a Red Sea. Oops, God made a mistake. Uh, is not the Lord God with you? God whispers to Moses, who's probably scared out of his mind, and he walks up to the water. I don't know if he was trembling or in the movies, he had confidence. You know, when you watch a movie about Moses, he stabs that spear in the water. I don't know what it was like. But God gave Moses the confidence and told him what to do. And what happened? God parts the waters. God wasn't going to abandon Israel. He cared for them. Not only that, but then he allowed the waters to return on the Pharaoh's army to kill those who were after them. And in wandering through the wilderness, God would provide manna, literally angels' food from the sky. He would give them quail to eat on the ground. I mean, water from a rock. I can keep going. God has some very obvious care that we see coming from God. Things that Solomon had probably heard of all his life. But not only does God have, you know, there's some obvious care that we see throughout the scriptures, but there's, God also has an omnipresent care, an omnipresent care, something that you or I can't really have. Let me explain. Look at verse 11. We're in 1 Chronicles 22. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, now my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou. And build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Look in verse 16. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. You see, the Lord is not only... Not only are there examples of God caring for his people in an obvious way, like those big moments in history, but even for the little things. And as it says here, now my son, the Lord be with thee, even to build this house. The Lord is constantly with us everywhere we go. For, uh, in Psalm chapter 139, we find that God is with us in the low parts and in the high places. The Spirit of God is with us at all times. You can't go anywhere where God cannot find you. Omnipresence. I heard this story once, and uh, I don't think the story is true, and I think you'll believe me as well, but there was... A man who was known as a thief, he was walking through the neighborhood one night and he was checking for windows to see if there was a window unlocked and he came across a house with a window and he pulls the window up, it's unlocked. He sneaks inside the house and he's got his bag, you know, and he's looking around and hey, not a bad house. He starts quietly going into one room and grabbing some expensive supplies and trying to grab what he can. He cleared out one room, and now he was making his way to the next. And as he tiptoed into the room, he was about to grab the first item when he heard a, a voice. Jesus is watching you. Man, scared. <laughs> Tried to look around, didn't see anything, and thought, okay, I'm just imagining things. This is what he's thinking. Uh, why would somebody just whisper this to me? So he Went to reach for the item again, and he heard the voice again. Jesus is watching you. 
And now he went for his flashlight, which he probably should have had on him at the beginning. He goes for his flashlight. He shines it into the corner of the house where he thought he heard the voice. He doesn't see a person. He just sees a cage. He walks over to the cage, shines it in the cage, and he sees a bird in the cage. He thought, I'm, I'm really losing it. Turns the flashlight off and goes to resume what he's doing, and he hears it again. Jesus is watching him. Shines the flashlight back over at the cage and says, what is going on? And he sees the mouth of the bird move. Jesus is watching you. He realized the bird was a parrot. Talking. Parrot, obviously. He's not insane. Maybe he is. You'll never know, will you? Shines a light at the bird and says, what? <laughs> you, you had me going there, bird. I need you to keep it down, okay? I'll be leaving soon. And the bird says it again, a little bit louder. Jesus is watching you. Okay, bird, I need you to stop now. What's your name, bird? The bird replied, my name is Moses. Okay. <laughs> the thief thought to himself and said, and now out loud said to the bird, what kind of dumb owners would name their parrot Moses? The parrot replied, the same dumb owners that would name their pit bull Jesus. <laughs> and with that, the man fled the house quickly. Obviously, story most likely is not true, and I don't recommend naming your dog that. Actually, I don't name your dog Jesus. However, we see that Jesus is indeed everywhere that we go. God is always watching. He's everywhere. He's with you. Solomon need not be afraid of this monumental task that's, uh, that he's about to have to conquer. God was going to be with him. God was going to take care of him all throughout the way. God did care for him. We also see an omniscient care. You see, he doesn't just look at the present and, and just give you what you need now, but God is looking towards the future and making sure you will, even in the future, have what you need in order to succeed. Look in verse 12 of this chapter. 1 Chronicles 22, verse 12. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. This was really prophetic here. David was telling Solomon, look, God is going to give you wisdom. Wisdom to help you do this. And we know God would give him wisdom. <laughs> God would literally come to Solomon and say, what do you want? Solomon would say, Lord, <sighs> I need wisdom. God would give him that and wealth and riches and more than he could ever ask for. You see, God would eventually not, God doesn't just take care of you in the present, but he's also looking to the future. And if God has placed you on this earth, especially if you're, you're, you are saved and you know him as your Lord and Savior, God has a reason, he has a purpose for your life. And he's constantly looking ahead to make sure that you can fulfill that will, that you can fulfill the desires that God has. God has a, a task for you, and he's going to make sure it stays complete. He's going to look ahead. He's going to give you wisdom to know how to complete that task. The Lord will always make sure that we are able to accomplish the tasks ahead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God will not give you a test or trial or anything in your life. He will not give you something that you can't 
handle, he'll always make a way for his will to be done in your life. That's the care that we see of God. You see, Solomon was looking at, David was looking at Solomon and saying, you need not be afraid, Solomon. I know you're young. I know right now you don't have the wisdom that you need. But just know this. Trust the people around you. There's a lot of people around you that have your back. They're going to be rooting for you. They're going to help you. And just know this too, Solomon, that God cares for you. And really, that's really the only thing we need to keep us going. But Solomon, know this, that there is a God out there, the same God that helped in the Red Sea, is the same God that's going to care for you now, who's also already planning for the future to help make sure that you can fulfill this task. And then in verse 18, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hands, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Solomon, you got a lot of people around you that are with you. You got God that's with you. And just know this, that I have given you, that God will give you the gear, the equipment to complete the task. Not just the people, not just God's going to help you, but you're going to make sure all of the possessions and everything, every little minute detail you need to complete the task will be given to you. Don't believe me? Look what we just read in verse 18. Is not the Lord your God with you? Hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into my hand. Look in verse 14. The Bible says in verse 14, this is David now speaking to Solomon. He says, Now behold, in my trouble... I have prepared for the house of the Lord in hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver. <laughs> That's not a typo. A thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weights, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. David's saying, look, you don't got to worry, man. I've already been, the last several years, I've been preparing for this moment. I have been doing everything I can to help you succeed with this temple. I have all this money. I have all this, I have all these, this gold, this silver, this brass. And the Bible says, without weights, I've been preparing timber. I've been preparing all the materials that you need to be successful, Solomon. And I'm going to give them to you so you could add it, so you could use it. I'm doing as much work as I can for you, Solomon. Don't worry, but you're going to have all the materials you need to complete this temple. Not only was God providing all the materials for Solomon, but in verse 15, moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. In verse 15, he's also giving him all the men he's going to need. You see, in verse 17 is the people that are around Solomon to help give him the wisdom in order to make sure this temple gets built. But he's going to need some grunt men, you know, some, some workers. He doesn't just need, the princes aren't going to be the ones to roll up their sleeves and build this temple. David's saying, don't worry, I already got that covered. <laughs> I've got men ready on hand to be hired to work. Guys who know how to use the wood, you know, stone and timber. There are some other special guys that God was brewing up. Somebody who was very proficient in, 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 in the working on of brass. I mean, it was all prepared and planned for Solomon. He gets the credit, but I mean, David, 
And David did most of the work. And then, if you thought he didn't need anything else, David said, oh, there's one more thing I already have waiting for you. <laughs> Back to verse 18. Hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. I already gave you the land and the spot in which it's supposed to go. I already have the land cleared out. God has already given us peace on both our sides. He's already given us a place to be. And if you read some chapters later, David even helps with the blueprints to help to complete this task. Uh, help with the blueprints for the building of the tabernacle itself, of, of, the, of the temple itself. David was planning. He had the people. He had the, the materials. He had the land. He had the, the, the blueprints. I mean, what does Solomon need to do next? I mean, God would still come to Solomon. Solomon still had to do a lot of orchestrating. He still had to actually get it all done, which was a huge task. And God would still give him some more of those blueprints and some maps, and God would reaffirm everything in Solomon's life. What's the point of all this? When God asks something of you, or gives you a task to complete, little or small, you can be guaranteed that he's going to make sure you have everything you need to accomplish it. Oh, Lord, I, I think you chose the wrong guy. I'm not equipped for it. Are you saying I made a mistake? Well, if God is burdening you to do something, if God is challenging you to do something, if there's something in your life you know you're supposed to do for the Lord, but you're scared to do it, then you being scared is the only thing that's stopping you from doing it. Because God is already orchestrating things in your life to help you accomplish His will. His will. You know, when Jeff Kent came to the plates on that, on that day, the day of the fight for the pennant, the series was tied 2-2 two to two with runners on first and second, and Kent came to the plates, the duel began, a pitch would come, and he'd swing, and there would be some foul balls, and it was going back and forth, and Kent finally looked the pitcher in the eye, and he got himself set, and I'm on the television, I'm, you know, behind it, and I'm cheering, and uh, if you've ever seen our family cheer in sports, it's almost like we're in the real game, you know, we're, we throw bricks at the TV, and we're going this and that, and yeah, go Kent, I don't even care about the rest of the team, Kent gets up, and the ball comes, he swings, the ball is a high fly ball to deep center field. I can hear the announcer now. It's high. It's deep. It's going back to the wall. It's gone. A walk-off three-run home run for Jeff Kent. He won the game with one swing. And as he's running around the, ba the bases, the crowd is cheering. Probably, as most people would say, the greatest moment in his career. He had won the MVP one year. He was a great baseball player, but a moment in time, this was his moment. He won the game. He stepped up, and he did his part. You know what's funny, though? The Houston Astros, they would lose the next game, and then they would lose game seven. They didn't even advance. They didn't even win the pennant. They didn't even advance and go to the end. Let me say, well, that's a sad story. You shouldn't have told it. You just, you just ruined it for me. Listen, Jeff Kent, he did his parts. 
it still didn't end the way he had hoped, but he did his part. He did his best. God has given you a task to do in life. And that whole, that whole 2004 postseason was one of the greatest in history. A curse was broken by Bam, the curse of Bambino. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then just forget it. But understand this. Things may not always go the way you had hoped in life. But when God gives you a task, all he asks you to do is to do your best. Do your best. Even if Jeff Kent had swung and struck out on that bat, He's still one of, they call him Clutch Kent. He's still one of the best clutch hitters there ever was in baseball. We would have been disappointed. Ah, man, ah. But you know what? He did his best. Are you doing your best with what God has given you? Is fear stopping you from giving your all to Jesus today? Is there circumstances or situations? Do you lack faith? That's really what it comes down to. Fear versus faith. Lord, I know what you've called me to do, but I'm just, I'm afraid. Lord, I don't know that my faith is where it needs to be. We've got Sacrifice Sunday coming up. We have different events all throughout the church and in your life. Where's your faith at with Jesus Christ today? Where's your faith in God today? The situation has been set. Everyone's in place. The crowd is standing on their feet. God has his bat, and he hands it to you. He says, it's your turn. What will you do? Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the lesson that you've given to us, this message. And Lord, there's a, a lot of things in life that we, we don't understand. There's circumstances in our life that are oftentimes confusing. Sometimes you tell us to do things that we, we think was a mistake. Maybe it was meant for somebody else. Sometimes you tell us to do things that we just don't want to do it. And we end up like Jonah, going the, wrong, the opposite direction. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to strengthen our faith. And if there's something in, in, your, in our life that we know we should be doing... Maybe we're just asking you right now, Lord, what is my next step in life? What should I do? When that moment comes, when that time comes for God to reveal his will to you, when he hands you that bat, will you take it? Will you step out in faith? Maybe it's a matter of giving. Giving of maybe money. Maybe it's giving of some of your talents. Maybe it's just giving more of your time to God. We hear the story of Mrs. Roman. And God was burdening her, burdening her, handing her the bat, saying, go, I'll be with you, I'll take care of you. Go to Ethiopia. She didn't take the bat maybe the first day, but she eventually did. And now she's over there doing her best for the Lord. I don't know what task God has given us today. Help us to, to just to take the bat and to swing with all our might to do our best for God. Thank you, Lord, for this day, for allowing us just to have this part of the service. And I pray if there's anybody watching that may be struggling, they would just give, give it over to you. They would take the bat. They would swing as hard as they can for you. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.